Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what their influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half, we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Game of Thrones Ascent from Disruptor Beam. Rich and Mike, please introduce yourselves to this audience. Hello, audience. I am Rich Gallup, executive producer for Disruptor Beam. Hello, I am Michael Leoncavallo, systems designer for Disruptor Beam. Thank you both. Um, Rich and I met each other at PAX East 2014, which is a, now a blur, a mere memory. <laughs> um, but I've been to many, many PAXs. I know you have as, as well, Rich. So it's it's not something every time we go it's like is he gonna, well I'm, i can cope with this this will be fine i bet no no <laughs> every year something weird happens um, they keep getting bigger they do they do they do get getting bigger um sadly you know packs europe for various reasons but we can chat about that after the show um but there's i think Eurogamer expo they don't want to kill that so and there's gamescom as well which is really insane. You have plenty of plenty of parties over there. We do, and we just don't need any. Well, <laughs> any more. So, um, who are you both really? So, you've given us an introduction. I know you're the executive director and producer, what have you? And um, but that's that's your that's your role within the company. Is that that one hat you wear? Would you wear many, like many small I, developers? Yeah, we we definitely wear many hats. <laughs> 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 we're, too, we're too small a company for anyone to have only one hat. Yeah. Right. Okay. So some of you are doing marketing like you're doing right now. Some of you are doing finances and stuff that you really don't want to do but have to, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. also, we're, we're not only do we have Game of Thrones Ascent live right now, but we're also starting development on Star Trek timelines. So uh, yes. there's, you know, yeah, attention is divided all over the place through many facets of games. Okay. So is it to the, the pair of you, when did you start making games? I know Rich is a lot, soon, lot uh, uh, more recent than, oh, I might be wrong, than, than Mike, but that, that just ask that base, base question. When did you actually start well, I'll, I'll creation? I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first to disprove your, your assumption. <laughs> um, I got my start in video games in 2002, when I was one of 10 finalists for the Nintendo Darkness Eternal Dark Nintendo Eternal Darkness Films Competition, where I wrote a pitch for a, a scary movie. They gave me $2,000 to make it, and I used all of that $2,000. I made the movie basically $5 and used the remaining cash to move out to California to try to break in the film industry and instead became a tester at THQ. That's uh, weird. And, yeah, right? <laughs> it was one of those things where I didn't, uh, I had some faith in my ability to make a good movie, but I had the money in the bank. And I said, why am I going to spend all this on the movie when I want to move to California? And then I got that job at THQ, which was uh, near abysmal, but it was a great foot in the door. Uh, Flip that to my uh, five years at GameSpot, making movies about video games. And then when I came back east, uh, in 2007 or 2008, I became a uh, producer for 38 Studios, the uh, notorious MMO <laughs> company, uh, which Michael knows well, uh, working my way up to lead producer. And then I've been here at the Shuffering Beam for over a year and a half as executive producer. 
Awesome. That is an amazing story, sir. Uh, <laughs> it really is. It is. To, just to, from game tester to, you know, um, frontline on uh, various uh, on GameSpot stuff. I remember watching you on doing that. I mean, how you got that energy when you did E3, there was something happened, especially on the second day. I think you're a ghost <laughs> of yourself. There wasn't a human being in front of the camera. There was something else. I, I- I was always up. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. You're not, you got to love it. You're making video games. You're talking about video games. You know, it's yeah. an amazing thing. So, where was I? Yes. Mike, <laughs> Mike tell, us, tell us about yeah. your, uh, your, your history. Yeah. So, uh, officially and professionally, I started uh, making video games in 2011. Um, I was hired uh, at 38 Studios, initially hired as a, a junior uh, systems designer, and after six months, I uh, got promoted to a uh, designer one, uh, uh, 38th, where I met Rich. I uh, worked there for uh, 14 months until its notorious fall. Grace. Um, <laughs> and then uh, from there, uh, before that, I was in IT, so I had to go back into IT um, after that. And then uh, just before Thanksgiving last year, uh, I got the job here. So uh, before that, I mean, I've always done game design and game creation as a hobby. Uh, back in uh, 1997, I actually co-wrote the rules for a local uh, live-action role-playing game with uh, another one of my friends that we ran for 10 years till 2007 when people were finally old enough out of college and had kids and didn't have time to run around the house. <laughs> right. So that's, that's <laughs> so live-action, <laughs> LARPing. Yeah. Yep. Full on lightning bolt stuff. Wow. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magic missiles. <laughs> Magic Sweet missiles balls. into the darkness. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, that's cool. So I've never done it myself. Um yeah, there's there's like there's some things in, in, in culture, nerd culture I don't do like war games. As soon as you get a war game, as soon as you get a game out with a tape measure, I'm going, I'm done. Sorry, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> The, take your tape measure and put it places where you shouldn't be. Uh, no, no. <laughs> anyway, um, so what are your biggest influences, do you think? What are the things that you you latch on to? Do you think that it seems to be a constant orbit around, to keep on coming back to over and over again? What is what is the big thing that it keeps on, biggest thing that influences you? That's the both of you. Are you are you looking for like a proper noun or like a concept? It because can be anything. Meaning... It can be even a pet. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my my biggest influence. I mean, I guess what drives me most is I want to always have fun at my job, and I want everyone around me to be having fun as well. Uh, so you know, it's that it's that sense of whimsy. Like if uh, the moment making video games starts being you know a job in quotation marks, then, uh, then, then you're in the wrong line of work, or at least you're pushing your job the wrong way. Uh, it, as I said earlier, video games should definitely be fun and you should be having fun. And I believe that if you, uh, you know, you keep that, that sense of adventure, that sense of joy from your work, uh, great products, great games will, will be made as a result. Yeah, okay, myself, I'm sorry, sorry, Mike, but I, yeah, I respond no after you've both gone. But yeah, carry on. Okay. Um, 
So I'd probably say, uh, I'd say my big influence uh, is probably my friends. Um, the whole reason why I love making games is so that I can play them with my friends. Uh, my friends and I, we have a pretty big uh, board gaming group, you know, that we get together, you know, during the summer we get together more because we come out of hibernation. But uh, generally, you know, once once a week or a couple times a month, we get together to play games. And uh, when we're not meeting in person to play uh, board games where, you know, meeting online to play different games like League of Legends or MMOs, stuff like that. So uh, it's definitely, you know, playing with my friends and having fun. And it just becomes kind of an ex- extension of that, getting to make the games that I then get to go and play with my friends and kept getting their feedback on it and making the game as fun as possible. Right. So it's, it's right. I, I get that uh, from I, developers, I was about to say, is that, that ultimately they want to entertain Sounds yeah. a bit sort of shallow and bland, but it's not true. Some some developers don't. They actually want to share an experience. Um, we all know what I'm talking about there. Alluding to the more esoteric stuff like, you know, um, is Dear Esther really a game? I don't know. <laughs> so it's that, that sort of stuff. So it, it's, a, it's a broad spectrum. But um, thanks for that, because that's, that gives an indication of where you're coming from when you make your games, because... It does lead on to my next question is who do you most admire in the industry? It can be a company or a person or both. It's a tough one because there's so many games that I play. It's kind of tough to pin it on one. Um, I'd probably, if, if I had to pick one, I'd probably have to pick Nintendo, specifically their Zelda line of games. Uh, you know, I've always been a huge fan of those games, and just because they encompass so much, it's it's got great, great gameplay, but it's also got the epic storyline, and that's one of the things I love about games when when a, 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 the story in the game really immerses you, um, you know, as the player, and you just get lost in the story while you're playing, um, and that's one thing I've always found that uh, all the Zelda games do. For for me, I think it's it's hard to pick like uh, an individual person that you uh, can really like admire because although I guess it's getting easier these days, but like video games take hundreds of people to make, at least the big ones do. Um, So in terms of that, I enjoy any game that has uh, a good cohesive story that, that draws me in. Um, And there's, there's, there's dozens of them. And then in terms of individual, like if I had to like pick an individual, like someone who I, who I admire, I'd have to say like uh, a bunch of our friends from 38 who are boldly doing their own thing right now, like Joe Mirabello making uh, Tower of Guns uh, or any basically indie developer who's, who's taking that leap. Uh, they're just like, all right, so I've done it. I've, I've worked with, uh, I've, I've worked with the dozens of people with with hundreds of people to make a game and now i'm going to do it by myself and i'm going to make something fun like uh like henry smith the guy who made space team he worked at i think bioware and on mass effect and now all of a sudden he just made this uh multiplayer game that's one of the most fun games you'll ever play uh anyone who has the ability to do that on their own and their the guts to do it on their own and can actually finish a game and ship it themselves like that's as a as a producer, as someone who can't code, I just uh, <laughs> I'm green, I'm green with envy, and I, it's just it's awesome that uh, video games are so big now that people can afford to do that by themselves. That is a big deal, isn't it? It's got to be said. It's a big deal. 
And it's becoming a bigger deal around here in the Boston area. Like there's a, you know, there aren't that many big game studios left in our, in our town. So if you want to stay in this area, sometimes you have to make the choice. You gotta, you gotta cut out on your own. Uh, yep. And we're fortunate here at Disruptor Beam that we we built this group of about 30 people or so right now, uh, and we're we're hoping to get bigger. And, but there aren't that many Disruptor Beams out there yep. in Boston. Yep. So uh, for people like Joe who wants to stick around, who wants to stay in their same house, and they 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 make their own game, it's just it's awesome. That's a big empowerment That's thing, isn't it? Because I've said this on many other episodes and i apologize for doing this one but i grew up in a time where making games required you to not only code but no assembly <laughs> because you had to hit the hardware you had to there was no libraries or anything like that it was just you know it was, it was really quite hard really really hard but now you've got all these tools available to you that the barrier of entry has dropped significantly over the previous ones well, in recent years and um now it's really about creativity and talent rather than being able to code in the first place. Do, do you both agree? Uh, I think it depends on the type of game you're trying to make. Like I'd always feel safer with a, with a programmer. <laughs> uh, but like uh, we have some friends uh, who works with us at 38 and we're also just recently let go from Turbine and they started their own company called Rotary Games and they have a Kickstarter going called Ruto Resurrection, which is they're basically making Final Fight branded with the Chikara Pro Wrestling League and it is going to be wild and awesome and I said I said man that is awesome how many programmers do you have and they said oh we don't have any <laughs> we're a bunch of designers and artists and we're using Unreal 4 and so far it's going great and the fact that they they're doing that and they're confident doing that it's yeah it's yeah. uh it's great. It's, it's always nicer when you have a programmer when you uh, say, "Hey, I want the game to do this thing, and I can't figure out how to do it." And the programmer's like, "Yes, <laughs> he gets his wizard hat on, and that's not a lie. They actually put one on. Um, <laughs> they do. They do. They, it is actually invisible. I grant you, but they do put it on, and uh, then they may sacrifice a goat or two, which you don't know about." Um, but there is a pentagram in the middle of the room that they don't talk about, and uh, they they proceed to sacrifice things. So uh, it's pretty it's pretty horrid. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, wielders of the dark light as they are. Um, so um, this is my so the next question is one of my favourites because it kind of implies what you're working on next. Although you did sort of hint at that earlier, but or many developers um, hint at earlier, but normally it has nothing to do with what they're working with at all, which is makes sense because it's, you know, it's like a, a palate cleanser for them. What are you playing right now? And it can be anything, by the way, it can be tabletop as well. Cause I play tabletop just as much as video games. So what are you playing right now? What's diverting you away from games that you should be working on? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have a lot of distractions there. Um, seriously, on the uh, PC, I log into League of Legends probably still once a week, not nearly as much as I used to play it. Um, coming this weekend when Wildstar releases, I'll be getting into that with uh, a couple of my friends. I know a lot of the guys uh, that are working on that. Um, that I've I worked met with them. That I've met them but they came over at uh, 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 Gamescom, uh, Gamescom and they came over they, to Res uh, as well. They, so yeah, a really nice group of people. Yeah, yeah. So um, then on uh, mobile on the iPad and my uh, my Android phone, let's see, I'm playing Clash of Clans, Boom Beach, uh, Lionheart Tactics, Road of Kings. 
Well, um, then my friends well. and I, we have a whole slew of board games. One of my newest ones is Eldritch Horror from uh, Fantasy Flight. Uh, oh, I've uh, played that. Yeah. Um, I, we had an eight-player game of it the other week, and uh, we managed to kill... Forever. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, I'm in a weird board game group. We we hold events every day. I'm not kidding. It's, oh, no. Yeah, but it's in London, so, and London's got an amazing public transport system, so everyone can easily get to central London, where we yep. have these events in the basement of a pub, and they feed and water us, so it's all, everyone wins, really. Right. And about 50 people show up every day. It's amazing um, to play oh. board games. Yeah, it's, yeah, in fact, if you're ever in London, people actually sign up to the group, while they're in London, just to go to, <laughs> to play board games while they're there, it's amazing. Uh, and I'm more than willing to drag you along if you if you're ever in this part of the world. Um, but the thing is, when we had eight of us, because I think we can, eight of us around the board trying to kill Yig, <laughs> uh, and we managed it. Nice. We completely slaughtered the beast. Um, we just had these people were really communicating with each other and actually really sort of like. You're not, not, there was no one, there was no project managing going, you do that, you do that. None of that happened, yeah. thank heavens. Right. Um, but it was definitely like, I know what my strengths are. I know what I can do. And there were some funny things that I ended up being lost in time and space for a bit. That was quite funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. You know, it was like, I'm sorry. But, you know. um, but yeah, that's, that's terrific. Well, what, what about, um, so, uh, Rich, I don't think you answered yet. I have not. Uh, so I just got a PlayStation 4, finally, well, so I could play Transistor. Thank Trans- you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm excited. I downloaded Transistor so I could uh, support my friend and former coworker Greg Kasav and his crew, Supergiant, with that game. But unfortunately, I also bought Assassin's Creed 4 uh-huh. and am sailing the high seas, uh, chasing glowing notes, collecting sea shanties. And last night, I spent way too long harpooning white whales. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, that game is just going it's, it's to gonna consume me. Uh, I have Remember Me in my Xbox 360, uh, and I keep saying I'm going to finish it. I'm not sure if I will. I've gotten so far, though, I have to finish it. Right. And then on my phone, if I'm not playing uh, the in-development version of Game of Thrones Ascent on my iPhone, I am playing uh, too much Marvel Puzzle Quest. You as well? Damn yeah. it. <laughs> um, fortunately, Threes has taken me away from that. Um, uh, and also Smash It. That's a beautiful I game. Smash it. I feel like I hit a wall in Threes almost on the day it launched. <laughs> I felt like I wasn't... Uh, <laughs> wasn't really progressing or getting any better. I still have it, but yeah, it just sits there. It? Like, come on, yep. come on. But yeah, um, so it's an amazing time to be a gamer right now. You can play bloody anything. My pile of shame is so massive now that I'm thinking of hiring out for the Olympic Winter Olympics for ski slopes and stuff. And that, well, you're viewing it. You're viewing it the wrong way. Well, you don't call it a pile of shame. Call it your altruism pile. Yeah. <laughs> you gave money to these developers and you said, I support you. That game looks great. Take this money so you can keep doing it. And maybe someday I will play your game. Until then, I'm a patron of the arts of video games. Have my money. A collector. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, and your game is to blame as well because I've been, yeah, I've been playing yours too. I'm not saying that because I'm talking to you. I'm genuinely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we believe yeah. Yeah, we no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, no, I've been playing it because I love the show, love the books and stuff because that, 
done my segue, which is a stupid thing to do because I just mentioned that it is a segue, so therefore it's no longer a segue. We now go on to our second half, which we will now talk about uh, Game of Thrones Ascent. Let's please give us the pitch on this glorious game. And it is glorious. Me, you, me, you. Wait, what, what part? You want to do it? You want me to do it? Uh, you start, and I'll just interrupt you when you say something. Excellent. That's not accurate. <laughs> game of Thrones Ascent is a social strategy RPG officially licensed uh, based on both the hit HBO series and George R.R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, in which you get to be a noble in Westeros and are placed within the events of the Game of Thrones series. Uh, Because we are licensed through HBO, we don't get ahead of the show, uh, but also because we're uh, licensed with HBO, you can watch the show on Sunday, or I believe out on on your side of the pond, it's on Monday. It is. Uh, It is. There you go. Uh, so, uh, and then the next day you can fire up the game and we have quests and items that are pulled straight from each week's episode. So you get to be, uh, where obviously your characters don't get to necessarily impact the direction of the books or show because we have millions of people playing this game and it'd be kind of weird to have 3 million people standing right next to Tyrion while he's, uh, while he's on trial. But uh, you get to be a fly on the wall. You get to kind yeah. of uh, you get to you get to touch down uh, throughout all the all the events, and it's uh, you get to build up your holdings. You get to craft. You get to compete. There's alliance battles. Mike, I think yeah. I've set you up enough. You can jump yeah. in. Yeah, you get to choose uh, your fealty right now. Uh, you can choose one of uh, the eight major houses, so you can swear fealty to one of them, and uh, each house actually kind of has a, a different experience as far as the content goes, the quest. So, you know, if you're playing as, you know, a Martell or a Lannister, quests will be presented to you differently and you'll have different choices uh, depending on the characters involved and what, you know, the actual outcome is and, and how you, uh, you handle it. Um, we have a pretty uh, robust uh, alliance versus alliance system. So uh, alliances is kind of like guilds that you see in other games where you kind of band together uh, with other players, and we run monthly cycles, um, uh, if, so anywhere between three and four week cycles, where you actually get to battle other alliances. You build up camps within uh, Westeros, uh, and you basically smash down the other players' camps, gaining victory points. And at the end of each cycle, whoever has the most points gets uh, extra rewards uh, in the game and in the form of items and, uh, and stuff like that. So um, there's a pretty big crafting system in the game. Uh, you can actually uh, get a dormant dragon egg that you can then quicken into a live dragon egg. And if you're really lucky, you can eventually uh, uh, hatch that and get a baby dragon, which I believe we have two in the game. Maybe currently. one of the hardest accomplishments yeah. in all of video games yep. is to get is, a, is to hatch a dragon yep. in get game a baby dragon. Yep. And the people who have done it in our game are are amazing players. Yep. And uh, <laughs> it, ta- it takes it is it is work. Yeah. 
Yep. It is what, yep. like, like I try like executive producing my way kind of through it. You know, I'm not saying I use cheat codes, but I'm not saying I didn't. And I still couldn't do it. The odds are not in your favor. And because uh, they're all it's, dead, it's aren't awesome. they? I mean, the thing, the thing about the, the they're all actually made out of stone. The eggs. I mean, it's, a, it's the, yep. how it came to be is a bit odd that they have been even even arrived. Um, so it's I mean. Well, I was about to, one of the things that I remember you telling me at PAX, and I want to reiterate to the listeners, is the new houses, when the houses appear in the show, they appear in the game. Is that right, or am I going crazy? That is so correct. My, yeah. So people who have been watching season four saw Oberyn Martell swagger on screen, and it's probably one of the coolest characters on the show <laughs> right now. So then you could jump in the game, and you could swear fealty to the Martells, and play through our entire quest line again. We have hundreds, I think, over half a million words yeah. of quests oh, yeah. written by amazing game writers, uh, many of whom come from Bioware. Uh, and each house, as Mike said, has uh, their own distinct take on storylines. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you're a Stark, you might see a little more action in the in the yeah. beginning, and then if you're if you're Lannister, you'll see a completely different perspective on such things, yeah. and you'll interact with uh, the iconic characters from the books and and show. And, and then there we do have an option to reincarnate in the game, so you can basically play as all eight houses. You know, you can play through all the content as the Starks, and when you get to the end, you can continue playing. You know, and with each new week's content that comes out, and do the alliance versus alliance and the crafting and all that, or you can choose to reincarnate and now play as a Martell and go through all that so you can actually, you know, experience all eight houses if, if you choose. And you have to if you want that dragon. That's true. You have yep. to. <laughs> of course, who doesn't want the dragon? Right. Uh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah. It reminds me of uh, you telling me about the difficulty. I remember the way back in the day when Star Wars Galaxies first released, way, way back, and to get a lightsaber was ridiculous, I seem to remember, or to become a jet yeah, for a while. Then everyone was. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And we also what happened there. Yeah, we're supposed to not think about that. <laughs> um uh, although I do have happy memories of shooting rebels in the face because I was an Imperial. Of course I was. Um so... <laughs> <Yeah, the accent. laughs> I have the accent. Yeah. Choice. Your accent, you don't have a choice. No, exactly. <laughs> oh man, we can do evil voices really well. So <laughs> that's that's the game. So they've got some specific questions uh, about the title because I've been I've been playing it, and um, it, these are the things that cropped up in my head when I was playing it. Although I do have to say that one of the questions that I was going to ask but it was so weird or narrow, but I just thought it was observation really. But it reminds me a lot of a game that a lot of British people of my age remember. It's called Lords of Midnight, um, which you might want to look up, um, which is a game from 1984. Um, so I'm quite old, but it's it's very much you know you have various lords and you're um, having to gather armies and go out on missions to actually take over and uh, over overcome this 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 uh, great threat that's taken over the land. You can look it up. It's on iOS actually. It's an amazing it's game. ZX Spectrum. ZX Spectrum. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that, that's another story for another time. But it does remind me. The game reminds me a lot of that game. I'm sure we probably never encountered it, but uh, yeah, we didn't have the NES back in the day. We had Spectrums instead. I'm, I'm sure you know this. So, so Game of Thrones Ascent is quite easy to understand. At least I found it to be quite easy to understand. But there's lots of layers to it. I think it makes it much more complex than it 
turns out to be. How did you get out, set out to design something that is so complex yet is has a phenomenally simple interface? What came first? Was it always this layered story comp- concept and then you installed the interface onto it or is it a bit of both? I'm just trying to get how it evolved into what it is sure. now. Uh, well, Mike and I, well, I've been, although I've been here for a year and a half, when I showed up, uh, most of the legwork had actually already been done on the launch version of the game. Yeah. And Mike yeah. uh, joined us after launch, so he can talk about uh, the perspective of trying to maintain, how trying to grow a game that is complex without making it more complex. But uh, when I showed up um, back in December, and we launched in late February, I think, so I was here for a couple months before we launched, uh, Disruptor Beam has always wanted to be a company known for deep story uh, and plenty of options for the player on how to create their own character within a world. So uh, the story was there, and I love that the story has always been there. In fact, some might say we almost had too much story at launch from a production standpoint. But uh, the... um, the uh, I'm glad that you say, Chris, that the UI is is simple because that was basically the job that we took on once I showed up in, in December. It's like, all right, we have all these bits. We have quests. We have sword swords. We have crafting. All right, let's make it all make sense now. We have all these systems that work well and they play well with each other, but how can they interplay with each other? Like, what is the what is the loop? What is something? What is Uh, a typical player going to do on a daily basis what do we want them to do uh and that that definitely took some iteration it's uh it was important to put everything that we wanted into the game into the game but then we needed to make it cohesive and we needed to make it uh clear and that took some work and we've actually been revisiting those same challenges as we've been making the ipad version of the game or the iphone version of the game or the android tablet version of the game or the android phone version of the game uh, and each time we revisit any screen, it gets easier uh, to understand as a player and more fun to use. I think the I think animation, the animation of, it, of it and, and things how uh, it, uh, the the text sort of appears and, and slowly and it's 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 and when you're reading the text of the characters as you're talking to them is is um, it's that that uh, it's a little thing. But I think it just slows things down enough to actually, rather than you rifling through menu after menu and, and, and that sort of thing, actually, it adds a bit of warmth to the game, for want of a better phrase. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I, I think for, for some games, um, you know, you always hear about games where people are like, oh, we don't expect anyone to watch the cutscenes. No one watches the cutscenes. Or we, people aren't going to want to read walls of text. Well, if you want to get everything you can out of Game of Thrones Ascent, we are hoping that you like reading text, yeah. not walls of text. If you notice, we keep the we keep yeah. the dialogue tight, and that's by design because we don't we want you to keep playing. We don't want you to always be reading. But there is a lot of text in our game, and if we are going to put a lot of text in our game, we have to make sure that reading it is a pleasant experience. Yeah, and how it sort of appears like that, and it's a little thing, but I do like it, and it's just that attention to detail is something it should be applauded for. Thank you. Um, next well, thing, like, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'd like if, if Mike wants to take a, a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait, so, what we, so the uh, original uh, lead game designer on the game was Tim Crosby, and he's now shipped over to Star Trek Timeline. So we brought in Mike and said, all right, Mike, here's <laughs> Here this go. giant complicated game. 
make it better, <laughs> add more to it, but don't make it more complex. So and don't uh, break it. Yeah. yeah. What would yeah. you think when we did that to you, Mike? Yeah, that was fun. Um, it was. I was up for the challenge. I like a challenge. Uh, part of the reason why I accepted the job. Um, yeah. So I think you know one of the big things you know that I look to do with the game is to you know add on to the existing systems, you know, rather than adding, you know, whole new areas to the game. I mean, there's a lot in the game you can do right now. So I like to, you know, look at adding on to them. Like one of the big things that I've been working on is uh, what we're, you know, referring to as our tier three crafting. So it's basically the, the next level of crafting in the game. So, you know, we're eventually going to be adding new items um, as well as, you know, new functionality there within the crafting system, you know, stuff that you can't currently do, you know, there'll be new ways to do it, uh, stuff like that. So, you know, adding on to the current systems and making them, you know, more interesting without, you know, adding too much complexity. Um, and then one of the other big things that, um, that um, I've done is um, taking the current systems and kind of adding a system onto them to actually simplify them. So one of the, the first systems that I actually designed was our adventure party system. Um, so before, you know, you had all these sworn swords and you have to individually select each sworn sword, select and send them out on an adventure. And I mean, you know, if you had 100 sworn swords, it could probably take you, you know, 15 minutes and about 300 clicks to, you know, send them all out. So now we have adventure parties where you can just, you know, queue up all your sworn swords, select the adventure you want for each one or set the same for all of them as well as the action and then just send them all out. And when they finish, you can just send them all out again. So the, the party is actually stays, you know, until you manually remove the sworn sword. So that was one of the, you know, the first systems I did. And so it's actually, you know, a system that kind of simplified stuff in the existing game. So that's uh, definitely where we look to, you know, take advantage of stuff and, uh, and add stuff to the game. Um, you know, without adding complexity. Um, uh, you know, we do a lot with the uh, AVA system. We're constantly changing that. Uh, you know, we like to keep it fresh. So, uh, you know, this current AVA phase, we made a big change with uh, the garrisons. And uh, before, you could only garrison one Swan Sword per camp, and they were just there to defend, and you could attack with all of your other Swan Swords. We changed it up where now you can add multiple Swan Swords to your camps, and you can only attack with people who are garrisoned. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely... Uh, you know, makes it a little more exciting, a little more risk first reward because while they're garrisoned and not attacking, they have the chance to be defenders and potentially die. So it, it's uh, added a little bit of excitement there. So it's been fun. Yes. And uh, what makes it even more fun is the immediate feedback you get from players. Yeah. Like yeah. players are the smartest people you'll, you'll know about, you'll ever meet about, that know about your game. Yeah. And uh, like systems like Alliance versus Alliance or Adventure Parties, those systems wouldn't have evolved the way they had if it wasn't for players playing the game and telling yeah. us what, yeah. what they wanted. Yeah, player feedback. Exactly. And and us uh, designing systems that we think will be fun for those players. Right. Like Mike said, you know, designing for your friends. In this case, your friends are the hundreds yep. of thousands of people playing yeah. this game every month. I think it's the joy of making the game like you're making now is that you can uh, react very quickly, relatively quickly, to people's players' feedback and you say, really, you don't like that? Or you wanted to add that? Or this is a, a pain in the rear end to actually having to manage and micromanage and you don't want to manage that? Well, fine, we can turn it off. Yep. And, yep. and that's, that's, you know, that's very powerful, isn't it? And it makes the game evolve not only in content-wise, thanks to the TV show, but also with the actual fundamental mechanic. Yes, and we're, 
we're learning as well as game developers what it takes to keep a live game up and evolving. So we have systems right now where it's really easy for us to push new content and new items. So that's why that's why you know it's 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 a hard thing to do to have content based on a TV show available the same time it's out as a TV show. And we've figured out a way to do that, which uh, makes us happy. We feel good about what we're putting out, and our players enjoy it. And, but where you run into difficulties, especially uh, so everyone uh, loves our game and they want to play it as many ways as possible. So now, very soon, we're going to have Android phone, Android tablet, iPhone, oh, iPad, God. Yeah. and a web version live. So when we were just on web, if we want to push out a new change, it's like, hey, let's take this change to iPhone, let's test it, testing is good, it's live. Now it's, all right, we're, we're going to make this new screen. <laughs> We need to make different versions of the screen that work across all the Android devices that work across all the <laughs> Apple devices. Then we need to push it out. So uh, then we need to send it to uh, Apple to be approved. Uh, for Android, it's a little easier to get up there. And then you have to like lay out the schedules. Like, all right, so we want to put in this new crafting system. Okay, let's make sure it all lines up so that when it goes live for some players, it <laughs> break it for other players. So it's uh, it's... What's As the, it gets bigger, it gets more complex, but it's fun. What's the lead platform then? Is it the web one still? Web is still lead, yeah. definitely. Uh, and I think what you'll see with Star Trek timelines is that probably a mobile platform will be our lead platform. Yeah. But uh, you don't want any player to feel like they have been left behind. So anytime we roll out a new system, we are going to roll it out in such a way that everyone can play it on all systems uh, at the same time. My next question is about theme. Now, I went to a talk about a couple of weeks ago at an event called Game Camp, which is run every year over here in London, where game people, uh, media and developers get together and talk about the creation of games and that sort of thing. And one of them was about at what point does theme overtake the game itself? Um, so, I mean, I, I may make mention of my questions. I have an example, Firefly board game, it's come under some criticism for being more theme than game, which is true. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's okay, but it's actually quite dull, unless you like the show. How have you managed to avoid that phenomenon with Game of Thrones Ascend? Because it's a, it, the underlying mechanic, in my opinion, it could be said anywhere, um, but it happens to be feeding off a lot of the, the theme as well. Do you think one supports the other? Definitely. Uh, the I think one supports the other, and also it's supported by how we give players a choice as to how much theme they want to experience. So you can do very well in Game of Thrones Ascent with playing very few quests. Yeah. You play some quests and you experience the storyline. Uh, you can just build up your, your holdings, build up your buildings, start crafting, build up your sworn swords, and go and attack. And for you, it's just another spot on the map that you're going after. You don't care who the Tyrells are, though you should. You don't care who the Martells are, though you should. You don't care who the Greyjoys are. Maybe that's okay. You only look out for yourself. Exactly. They're just, they're just, they're just new nouns for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so the theme is, is kind of opt-in. I, I would say, uh, and, but and if you love that theme and if you love Game of Thrones, then you can get caught up in it a lot. Yeah, that's one of the good things because there's like, like I said before, there's so much you can do in the game. So you know, I'm sure we have a lot of players that you know 
do everything and you are able to do everything if you want. But, you know, as Rich alluded to, if, if you don't really want the quest or the theme, you can skip that and go right into attacking other players or joining an alliance. And if that's all you care about, if you're not into the player versus player stuff, you can just stick solely with the theme and go through the quests and the adventures and the crafting and all that. So it's, it's, like, it's, it's akin to MMO stuff, isn't it, really? No offense to it if you feel that way. But, you know, a lot of people love PVE and MMOs. Yep. like doing killing 10 walls for pelts that's fine uh, and while others like punching people in the face repeatedly <laughs> um, and some people like doing both uh, yeah. so you, you're catering for some people like you know i feel like punching someone in the face today that's what i'm going to do um but uh i must admit i'm more of a of explorer of a game i, I well i definitely hate doing this archetype nonsense but i genuinely am i like seeing new content uh, yeah, that's uh, one of the things. When I was away, when I was a little kid, and I used to play those text adventures. I remember playing The Hobbit, which looking back at it now, how I got through that, I don't know, because that game's broken. Um, but uh, <laughs> I loved seeing the new images that came up. Yep, it was these amazing pictures that would come up, and the only way to get to them is to solve puzzles, and really, really weird puzzles, which no one in their right mind could sort of possibly fathom. But I managed to solve them, and I saw and my reward was progress and a new picture. And that, that's the thing that gets me going with, with the games, is that what are they, what's new? And hasn't being someone who's read all the books and now watching the show and, and just really enthralled in this, in, in, in this world, to be, you know, to, to, be, to be part of it, even a, a fictional part of it, in a work of fiction, <laughs> um, is, is, is uh, very, very entertaining. Thank and, you. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of the game, playing the game, so the game of Thrones, I think, we played in short bouts and returned to as a player uh, has a moment to play it. And other games have tried this at varying degrees of success. How do you manage the issue of time gating and pacing of play? Because it, the game does have acceleration methods and what have you, does it not? Yes. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tricky. Uh, we're all, I think we're all players first. We're players first and we're developers second. So, uh, anytime you're making a free to play game, it is a difficult line to walk to figure out how you can make enough money to keep making <laughs> games, but also making them in a way that, uh, your players, uh, don't feel gated. Uh, Game of Thrones Ascent, if you don't want to feel gated, you should play the game basically like six times a day. And it should be the kind of game that you have open on another tab on your browser while you're working. You're like, all right, work, work, work. Let's make some spreadsheets, uh, check some email. Wait, what's this tab over here on the right? Game of Thrones Ascent? All right. I'm going to craft. I'm going to try getting some more flipping fires when I really want the ash. I'm going to, you know, send out my adventure party again, claim all these rewards. Uh, and then I'm going to go back to my spreadsheets and my email for a little bit. And if you play the game like that, you will not feel gated. Yep. You will That's always right. Have yeah. to do and, exactly. And, and I think people need to latch on to that because many people, myself included, because we've played games for so many years, that type of play is quite alien. It's like, I'm going to sit down and play a game. What? I have to stop? But I don't <laughs> want to stop. Um, and that's... that's, that's that's, that's and at some point with Game of Thrones Ascent, you if you if you play in that style, 
at some point your game becomes so big and your holdings become so big, you won't have to stop. Right. You'll just be <laughs> flipping to another sword sword. You'll be flipping to another camp. You'll be flipping to another building. Yeah. And you'll be doing some more quests. And that six times a day might become two or three times a day for longer stretches. Uh, but yeah. while you're building up, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult uh, in today's uh, marketplace for games. If you want to have a thriving social community with hundreds of thousands of players, the, the, the proven way to do that is to make your game free to play. Yeah. Um, and then the trick is figuring out how to make money in a way that keeps your business thriving, but also keeps your, your thousands and thousands of players happy and, and active. So uh, we, we play the game a lot ourselves to make sure that we're not violating that uh, and uh, we adjust as needed, and we also listen to our players' concerns. So, like when our players said, uh, "We want to play the game a ton, and we want to keep sending sword swords out on adventures, but it's re- it's just eating all of our time to to maintain that." We we create adventure parties to make that faster for them. Excellent. So, yes, you have to be the best developers are players themselves. It's obviously to say. But sometimes, you know, I've always said. I mean, I play a lot of role playing games as well. I'm a DM. But I play as well, and I say to the best DMs that are players as well, because they can empathise yes, with yes. the player. You know, they don't want to. You know, other becomes. You know, oh, it's fun really torturing these people. No, it's not, because the DM might be the one person around the table might be having fun. Whatever else is looking at you, going, <laughs> you're a bad person. You know. Yeah. So, so you're like, so we have some programmers here who are super deep into our alliance versus alliance system, and they'll come in someday, and they'll come in some days and like, you know, this change you made, Mike. <laughs> I don't know about this. And you're, like, <laughs> about it. and you're like, well, what don't you like about it? well this and this and this? And like, oh, then maybe sometimes a bug will emerge that way, and or maybe sometimes you'll hear one of our programmers say, like, so I found this bug in AVA and I fixed it. <laughs> 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 it's like well, it's perfect the system works you like our game you play our game then you fix the bugs in our game keep it up guys you're a good job i just want to correct rich there because when people come in they say hey mike this change you made in aba i love it it's awesome <laughs> However, i can make it even better or something <laughs> that's all fun. yeah um so the next one is with a loaded question i think but i just want to get tease some sort of theme or the how much of the theme of Game of Thrones Ascent has with the actual original content or the original source material. So the world of Game of Thrones is a very grim one. It drives me mad, actually, how grim it is. <laughs> uh, and a decision that the player makes can go against our real-world sensibilities, um, especially those, those of us living in Europe and America, and we have certain cultural sensibilities that we've been having for centuries. Um, so how far do you go with these kind of grim aspects in Game of Thrones Ascent, do you think? Uh, we definitely don't go as far as the show or the books do, um, partially due to the fact that uh, because the game launched originally on Facebook, uh, games uh, basically need to be PG-13. That's, no. that's, like, that's the most risque you could go. But also it was a conscious choice that if we did make the game as dire as Game of Thrones, that would probably turn off a lot of players. Yeah. It, so there's, it, it turns a lot of moments. off away from Games of Thrones itself. They say it's so relentlessly bleak, is it? I know, but that's it's fiction. Get over <laughs> yes. it, it's fiction. <laughs> but yeah. So like, we, we, we have conversations from time to time. They're like, you know what? People don't die enough in our game. And if, 
if you play through the quest line, you you can see kind of like there are moments where we start addressing that. Yeah. Like we had a whole bunch of quests, and we're like, you know what? These quests are all great. Not enough people die, and then you hit a stretch where all of a sudden, you know, maybe some people that you like are attached to you. Uh, maybe they don't stop showing up in the quests. You know? <laughs> Spoiler alert! So we're always trying to uh, we're always trying to stick to the themes. I think uh, we're definitely not as bleak, and you definitely won't see us. Um, there are some things that the show has been doing, especially this season, that we definitely will never do yeah. in the game. Um, I can't see like now. Send one of your the swords off to do a um, torture. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then yeah. you have to strip them of their humanity and uh, turn them into a... Uh, what? No! <laughs> <laughs> it's good that we laugh about it, but yeah, no, yeah. that definitely yeah. will happen. That definitely yeah. will happen. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's partially on us. It's partially on the fact that we want people to play the game. Also, they are, are licensed with HBO. There's certain content that they're not comfortable right. with us creating, so it's... Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and any time in the story, like when there is, you know, something, like if you can choose to do something that, you know... You know, may not be the best of things to do. You always have the option to not do it. You know, so you're as you're playing your character, you know, you kind of get the to mold it, you know, and, and play it the way you want. You know, you know, kind of like you get to do in you know other games. You know, in MMOs, you can play the bad guy or the good guy. So you kind of have that choices, but we never go to the extreme that the show goes to. Yeah, no, I think the the trickiest part of doing any alignment based sort of game is that it's very easy to go binary on it because, well, there's computers, and computers are ultimately a series of switches, which people tend to forget, but that's yep. all they are. It's ones and zeros, and that's what tends to happen with with these games. Do you find it a struggle to get into the grey area or not? Definitely. We're, we're always trying to be in the, in the grey area because that's where the, the interesting decisions get made. Yes. Yeah, it's... Uh, you can, if there's no clear white and there's no clear black, it's like, all right, I if I, I feel kind of like 80% good about this and that's the best I'm going to be able to do. So, all right, let's do that and live with the consequences and see what happens. And um, our- that, that summarizes Game of Thrones as a concept anyway. It's the whole point. No one is actually all good or all bad. Some people are really bad. Some people are really trying not to be. Uh, but ultimately, they live in this grim world and they make the best of it. Uh, yep. If you stay too rigid, that's generally how you get your head cut off. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. It's not really a spoiler anymore, is it? Um, but yeah. Well, didn't say who. How many? It's quite a few. Yeah. It happens. It happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. And, and, so, and like, so for for us, like uh, when you're playing the game and the show is on and the weekly content's out there's less opportunities for us to explore those themes of Game of Thrones because there's a set storyline that we're, we're trying to follow and help players experience. But in the year or 10 months, 8 to 10 months in between when the season 3 ended and season 4 began, we still produced weekly original content based on our themes, based on our world. And that's where you got to see us really explore and spread out. Like, all right, this is what we feel would be like an original story would be like in the world of Game of Thrones. And uh, players get to make some really interesting stories that come back and feed into, uh, feed into the quests. And our writers really got to, you know, stretch their wings a little bit. And there's some, uh, so if you, if you want that new content, even though there's only three episodes left in season four right now, we'll have something new for you the next week. Absolutely. And it always makes you wonder, like all this is stuff is happening to about a dozen characters what about the hundreds of thousands of people 
that's probably how many there are that live in Westeros and it's just like what are they doing what's happening to them what about all these other minor houses and that's the story that you're plugging in isn't it and it's like what is yes. it what is it like to live and experience in this world in, in the Game of Thrones because you're enthralled by it would you want to live here no but yeah. uh, <laughs> a lot of blood yeah. <laughs> uh, hmm. cholera all sorts yeah, yeah it's, you know no and uh, no, no sanctity of human life. But anyway, <laughs> it's it's just it's it's when people like to hear people say, "Oh, this show's too grim." Like it's fiction. It's, it's fiction. As cool as dragons are, I would not want to live in a world of dragons. No, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> no. Top of the food chains, yeah. nice place to be. Right. Yes, it's it is it is. <laughs> so just to sign off and recap, then Game of Thrones Ascent is currently available on uh, any computer that runs a browser of recent. You know, years. Correct. You can to, find it on Facebook, on Congregate, on Armor Games, and on our own site, disruptorbeam.com. Okay, so that means if you're running Windows, Linux, or Mac, doesn't matter, as long as you can you can see it. And it runs on iOS, iPad 2 and above, is that right? Correct. Good. And now you're planning to release it on uh, Android uh, tablets, and now you're also pushing it onto mobile phones, which we did talk about a little bit before we started recording the show. Um, and I'm just intrigued about the interface there and how you're managing that. You seem to be quite confident. Of course you are. Yes. It's, but, uh, uh, yeah, we're going to have an Android tablet, Android phone, and iPhone all as, as soon as possible. Uh, we're trying to get it out the door. There's you know various conversations that need to happen before we get there. But it's uh, as I said, when we revisited for iPad, and we got to redo the UI. I think the iPad is my favorite way to play right now. Just you get to slide and swoop menus open. Uh, and then so then you make for Android. And all of a sudden, Android devices, uh, everyone's used to having that back button on Android. And that takes another revisit of the UI because on iPad and on web, you know, back buttons aren't used the same way. And then That's right, you, yeah. you make it for phones. And all of a sudden, guess what? Everything's small. Everything's <laughs> teeny tiny, especially the iPhone. Like, oh, God. It's so, so it's yeah. adorable. It's wee. It's yeah. It's and, then, and then you get like Homer Simpson hands, like, and it's like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that, there's, and there's some great tools that you get to use while testing this stuff. You're like, all right, that button looked good. Let's find out. Push a build. Nope. All right, that button's too small. <laughs> I can't read that text. It looked good on our computer. It needs to change. And so, if those buttons need to get bigger, that means less information's displayed on the screen. So, how do you make sure the information that's there? makes sense to someone playing the game for the first time, but the deeper information is easily accessible for our veteran players. You shouldn't have to have a magnifying glass to read the text. Definitely, nope. definitely not. And it's really bad. Fonts are changed. Uh, point sizes are changed. Yeah, there's a... Uh, and uh, then we'll see what the players think and we'll fix it. Yeah, I mean, the lesson learned is like, how did the Game Boy Micro work? It somehow did. <laughs> Fine. Like, you put games like... I can still see everything. Yep, that's weird. So that <laughs> might be something to, if you still yeah. find one. I've still got mine somewhere. I don't know where. But uh, Rich, Mike, thank you so much for your time and uh, your wit and humor to sharing with us on the Sausage Factory. Really, really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck in the future endeavors of this game and the other titles that you're working on. So, yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Us. Yeah, thanks Great. to everyone for listening. Hope, uh, hope everyone had a good time.
And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!